Hello, and welcome to the Green Universe. This is a podcast about green beauty, the makers, the lovers, and everything in the universe. I'm Victoria Fantuzzi, your host, and we're keeping it real, exciting, and fully transparent just for you. Welcome to episode three of the Green Universe. Today, we're speaking with three product formulators and brand founders about ingredients, the challenges in using natural materials, and finding safe alternatives in order to create efficacious products. We're also going to learn about what it takes to run an EcoCert certified lab, testing for safety, and formulating products that solve problems. We really hope you enjoy this most educational episode. And remember to please subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes. If you're in the Chicago area, we hope you'll join us for our two-day pop-up. We're bringing old-fashioned hospitality into a cozy space to connect, imagine, and discover the world of green beauty. This is all happening on November 16th and 17th. We're keeping the location secret for a little while longer as we undergo our transformation, so make sure you're signed up for our email newsletter because we want to see you for this special celebration. If you're a fan but far away from our windy city, we are thrilled to share we're cooking up an online surprise for you too. Stay close because we're just six weeks away from our holiday pop-up and good green fun. Hi, Suzanne. Hi, Victoria. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Where are you? Because you've been traveling so much lately. Um, I am at home right now. Oh, great. You were... You were, oh gosh, you were at um, Cosmoprof, right? You, you, you did that? Yes, and I did Cosmoprof, and we actually won the best green beauty brand of I the year know. this year in Vegas. Congratulations. That is huge. I know that. For our listeners, um, I want to share that Suzanne Leroux is one of the people that <laughs> I call often with questions. Um, because you are such a great source of information and over the years, you know, we've developed this relationship where I feel comfortable calling you if I have a question I'm not sure about. And, um, it's so great to have, you know, someone in the same green beauty space to do that with. So thank you for being our sounding board sometimes and our dictionary and all of that stuff for us. Well, thank you for creating a night for green beauty. I've shared with you many times that, you know, down here in Georgia and working on what was a new industry at the time, I felt really lonely. So it was great to have the group that really you created. So thank you. You're welcome. That's it's always been such a pleasure when we have been able to get together and talk and connect with all of the brand founders and learn so much from one another. And Um, One of the things that I've been so amazed by is your brand, One Love Organics, and all all that you've accomplished over the years from when we met you back, I don't even know when, (laughs) so many years ago, to where you are now. I'm fascinated by your lab because like us, you um, still make your products in-house and you have your own lab. And I want to hear more about that. I know that you are an EcoCert certified lab, which is huge and amazing. 
And I want our listeners to know what it took for you to accomplish that. Thank you. Um, so I was an attorney before I started this business. Um, that was my trade and this was my hobby. And then I traded, <laughs> I traded places and made this my work and, uh, I That's only do the legal work. Right. <laughs> and so I came from a legal background and Victoria, I knew what would happen that has happened is that there would be so much confusion over the industry and what the standards meant and what the words meant. And I'm a very literal person. I like for you to just tell me, here's the book, here's the set of standards. This is what it is. So I did some research and we decided to go with EcoCert, which is the largest, oldest global certification body that was founded in France. They've now since merged with every smaller certification and body body in Europe to form Cosmos. So that's a little confusing, but now it's Cosmos EcoCert. And they all got together to say, to kind of hash out what the standards actually are. So I don't like to make up my own standards. I like for someone to give me well-researched standards. Then when we found out what was involved in getting EcoCert certified, I have to admit to you that I almost (laughs) backed out multiple times over two years. It was uh, so hard. They check everything. So if we want to use one single ingredient that we like, the manufacturer of the ingredient has to fill out this deck book starting from where and how it was grown until how it was literally packaged to ship to us. We have to turn in all of our packaging to make sure that every step of the packaging is sustainable. Um, They check your pest control plan, your uh, product expiration system, how you store all the raw materials and in the right temperatures. They check every batch record to make sure that you're putting in the amounts that you say you are and that the product is actually the percentage of organic that's on the label. And then finally, they even check our marketing team to make sure that they're not saying anything that's not accurate about natural and organic beauty. So for a small team like ours, we still have less than 10 people It is a tremendous amount of work and effort, and we're physically audited twice a year. So every six months, we have the stress of proving that we did and do (laughs) all these things. So it is a lot, but it gives me peace because I don't have to worry about what the definition of natural and organic beauty is. I have my standard. Um, if, If you don't like EcoCert Cosmos, that's fine, but that's the standard that we formulate to. And so it just kind of gives my legal brain some comfort to be like, (laughs) this is what it is. Right. And it should give your your customers some comfort that you have made all of this effort to um, maintain that standard um, for EcoCert, which is huge. It's, it's, very hard to do as you explained to us. Um, and also, you know, like you said, the ingredient choices that you make, because you have to take that into, uh, consideration when you're even thinking of developing a new product, right? You do. Yeah. 
And so I would consider you an expert as a formulator and product formulator and um, in this green beauty space. I, I have a few questions about that because there seems to, ha there seems to be right now um, some debate about what is green beauty, what is clean beauty, who gets to define green beauty or clean beauty. And I think it's very interesting. I'm really glad that this conversation is coming up because as a group, you know, our Night for Green Beauty group, um, we have talked about this over the years so many times with other brand founders of what we believe is green beauty. Um, clean beauty wasn't even an expression at the time when we started all of this. I don't know if you remember that, Suzanne. No, it wasn't. Yeah, we always said, you know, we always, you know, just had one definition of green beauty. And mine was that our products are made with ingredients that um, are basically non-toxic, uh, that are not harmful to um, human life or plant life or animal life. Um, that was my definition. And that not that the ingredients were necessarily certified organic or, you know, not wild or, you know, biodynamic or eco-cert, just that the ingredients were safe. Um, so how do you feel about that? What, what do you think? What's, what's the, def what's the definition of green beauty to you? You know, that's so interesting having done customer service for as long as I have, I still check customer service every week um, with my team members. I think non-toxic is a tough word because, and and you've certainly dealt with this, of all the allergies and sensitivities that people seem to have today. I kind of liken it to strawberries. I love strawberries and eat them all the time, but they can kill some people. So um, I shy away from the word non-toxic just because I think people have more reactive skin than ever today. And I think that is the pollution and the toxic overload that we do have in our daily lives that's Absolutely. causing that. This didn't exist. My dad has been a pharmacist now for almost 50 years, Victoria. And it's so interesting to talk to him because the things that were are a problem today were never mentioned back then. And so I have been working with him to try to figure out some of the interesting things that, that are popping up, like skin reactivity, eczema, all the new things that used to be so rare that are rather commonplace today. So I, I tend to just define green beauty as companies that consciously use the best materials and formulate and manufacture in the way that honors the customer and their health the most and doesn't drive so much towards just the marketing gimmicks and the long shelf lives and the huge volume sales. I it's see. more about honoring the customer. Okay, that's, that's a good definition. Although, as a product formulator, you, you still, you still, are you still the main product formulator for One Love? I am. Okay. That's my favorite thing to do. Mine too. That's my favorite thing <laughs> yeah, to do. <laughs> and Karen's. That's what we talk about all the time. This is our favorite thing to do. Um, as a product formulator, though, um, are there ingredients that you will definitely never even consider using because you think it's just not safe? I think there are so many better alternatives that are actually good for the skin. I shy away from anything that's petroleum derived in any form because it actually 
covers the skin like plastic, which I think leads to premature aging. And so just there's so many great advancements in ingredients now and so much work and studies have been done that just anything with a petroleum derivative, I shy away from in my formulas and I won't use them. You know, I buy other things like shampoo and conditioner and I just don't want petroleum-based ingredients in my routines. Okay. Um, that's interesting because there are some ingredients that I stay away from as well. Over the years, we've learned, you know, that there there are some alternatives that are better for you, better for the environment, better for other people's health. And one of those, which has been kind of in the limelight, spotlight, I guess, lately is um, our preservatives. You know, mm-hmm. um, there are some people that... Um, don't really understand, you know, what a preservative does, um, why we need it, or the fact that there are alternatives to some preservatives that I would consider hazardous, um, questionable, um, extremely controversial um, for a variety of dif- uh, different reasons. And one of those preservatives is phenoxyethanol. Um, that preservative has been talked about quite a lot lately, um, and it's very interesting because some people just don't know how to feel about it. Some people feel very strongly about it. I personally feel very strongly about it as a green beauty formulator because, again, I'm only speaking as a formulator of why I wouldn't use this preservative in our formulas. How do you feel about phenoxyethanol? What do you think about it? And, you know, like you said, you you look for the alternatives. So are there alternatives to a preservative like that for you? There are absolutely amazing alternatives that will give you the same or maybe even better preservation challenge test results. But when I look at phenoxyethanol, I look at the fact that no certification body for natural organic skincare or cosmetics across the board, across the world allows it. These are the minds that have been dealing with these issues from the very start. Um, They have great teams of people and there's not one person anywhere on Cosmocert, EcoCert, uh, I mean, Cosmos, EcoCert, Natru, MPA, NSF, that says, yes, we will allow phenoxyethanol in natural and organic products. Well, and that to me, I mean, I, I'm a pretty simple person. That's all I need to know. Right. <laughs> I don't need to debate it or write articles about it. I agree. I, you know what? It's interesting though, because we've heard, you know, on the other side, um, in the people that argue that, you know, that use it, their, their mm-hmm. argument is that they're, they're using it at the safe concentration. So can you explain what that is? Because I think there's this controversy about it. There's, there's a lot of misinformation about phenoxyethanol. Like you just explained that EcoCert and all of these other certifications um, do not allow it at all. So your brand could not use it if you wanted to and, and maintain your EcoCert standing, right? Right. And the brands that do use it and they're using it at... you know, uh, certain levels of concentration. Explain that to our listeners. So 
any preservative does work to kill microorganisms that flourish in water for you guys that don't know. So if you have an anhydrous product like a bomb or an oil or um, any type of oil serum, water, in the absence of water, microorganisms like bacteria, mold, and fungus can't grow. So that group of products is not what we're talking about. When you introduce water to a product, that's where microorganisms flourish. So preservatives are designed to separately kill bacteria, mold, and fungus. So one group of preservatives might work on bacteria, one might work on mold, or you might find a broad spectrum, which phenoxyethanol is, a broad spectrum preservative that will kill all of those things together with one preservative. And because they are designed to kill microorganisms, they have a safety profile of the upper limits that are safe to put on your skin before it would start to affect the microbiome of your skin barrier. So that's what the safety level means. It doesn't mean that the preservative itself is safe. Parabens have a safety usage level. Um, retinols have a safety usage level. Like I could pull up any ingredient that's used in cosmetic and it's, you know, has a safety usage level. So that doesn't point to its safety. It just points to its upper level usage limits. Right. That is a very good and clear and concise explanation. I appreciate that. Um, and so, um, and, and even natural ingredients have, you know, the same standards, even natural ingredients do, because you can include, you know, maybe too much of a natural ingredient and it could affect your skin in a certain way that's not healthy. Um, but for phenoxyethanol, like one of the things that people say that I've heard, you know, the, the other side of the argument is that, well, they only use it at 1% concentration. Now, one of the things that I know about it is that that's the allowance that the EU said was safe enough to use in a product. And that's for products that um, rinse off, that don't stay topically on the skin. And then it's half of that for products that do stay on the skin. So I want to make that clear to people because I think that some people just don't understand when, when, a, when a brand says, well, we only use phenoxyethanol at 1% concentration, that it also does matter what kind of product it is. Because if it's 1% concentration for a face serum or a face cream, then it's uh, half of a percent over of what is allowed as safe. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. Yes. And I think, you know, the, this is another thing to, to understand is, is um, I, I really love it when our customers ask us these questions because we like to explain them. We don't often get to explain this kind of stuff and we need to explain it because we're making products and we're putting it out, you know, to the market, um, to the public to, to buy. Um, so we really feel like it's important to explain these things. One of, the, one of the fears that a lot of people do have as uh, product formulators or brands is that then their product might not stay on a shelf for as long. How do you feel about that? Do you feel that's necessarily true? Do you worry about that? Um, one of the things we advocate as a brand for La Bella Figura is that we want our customers to use our products up you know, quickly. We make them fresh 
And we want them to see transformation and not to keep it around because we feel like once you're using a product and your skin is adapting to it and you're, you're providing nutrients to your skin, you do see transformation. But how do you feel about shelf life as a brand and worrying about your products on people's shelves and how long they can stay fresh there? So from everything that I've seen, and I love to send stuff off for preservation tap challenge tests. My husband is our CFO and he literally sometimes will be like, quit sending stuff off for preservation <laughs> talent tests for fun. It's not fun to pay the bill. <laughs> um, so I have tested a multitude of my things, other brands, things, makeup, you know, I just like to send them off at, at random times. And, um, I will definitely tell you guys, it's so funny because people are so germaphobic about like, uh, errant hair in their food or a roach coming across the floor or things that, you know, I see that freak people out. Don't use products past one year. <laughs> like let that freak you out. No product on the shelf, buy it, use it up. Don't stick it in a drawer somewhere and use it for the next two years. Um, <laughs> stuff grows in there. And so it's not a problem for a year. Things that are preserved properly, you have one good year of enjoyment with that product. After that, it can get dicey and it can just depend on the humidity in your house or the temperature or a whole host of things. So trust me, throw out everything after a year mascara, you really need to change out every three months because your eyes are so important. And, um, but speaking specifically, do natural products have a shorter shelf life? No. I mean, all of my preservation and stability tests come back at one full year and I've had some tested at 18 months. They're also fine. It doesn't mean it has a shorter shelf life. We're just using, in my opinion, better preservatives. But regardless of what you are using, use it up within one year. Um, so I find it interesting that you feel that, that you know, a year is a, is a good time. That's a good amount of time. Who wants a face moisturizer <laughs> that is, is meant to last for three or five years on a shelf? And also, if I'm going to a department store to buy uh, a moisturizer, I want a fresh product. I don't want one that's been there for, I don't know how many years under, you know, all these bright lights. How do you feel about that? Absolutely. That's why we do everything in small batches. We produce products fresh and often like I'm sure that you do. And it doesn't mean that there's a short shelf life. It just means that those are the products that work the best. And the ones that have been sitting on a shelf you know, when I first got into this industry, I did reach out to some contract manufacturers because I was kind of scared to start my own manufacturing facility. That was a lot of work and <laughs> overhead. And they, I mean, back then, indie brands weren't really a thing. So people wanted a minimum of a 50,000 piece run. And I just couldn't wrap my head around 50,000 pieces at one time. And this guy told me, he said, this is one of the huge New Jersey companies. He said, look, lady, we typically do a million run pieces, like 50,000 pieces would be giving you a break. And I said, so once you run the million pieces, like, where do they go? And he said, well, you just ship them out then as they're needed. 
And he said the same thing as they have it up to a two-year shelf life. And I just was like, oh, my gosh. So whatever I'm buying right now could be a year old by the time I bought it. Right. This is so important for people to understand. Um, and we want people to understand because I think we are all advocating, you know, not not just products, but we, we, we want the customer to experience great results and have um, good experiences with products and love them and, and you know. And have I, healthy skin. Yes, yeah. And I think that's, that's the whole game, healthy yeah. skin. So all of these things, there's so much to this that is complicated and at the same time a challenge that I feel and I know that you feel that is worth it because of the reasons that you mentioned before, like you want to put out products that you feel very proud of and that are keeping with your standards. How do you feel about, um, how do you feel about your ingredients? I'm also super personally invested in my ingredients. They're like, like you said, I mean, they're like my friends. I am obsessed with them. I think about them in different terms of their care characteristics, their aromas, their benefits, sometimes their downside, you know, are they a little temperamental? Do they need to be put in the refrigerator? <laughs> um, and I have shared this on my blog a lot, but a lot of my favorite skincare ingredients come from the things that I like to eat. So, um, really got into chia seeds and saw great benefits, started putting it in my skincare products. Um, I love green tea, made its way into our skincare products. Or, like, I love the smell of gardenias in the South. They only bloom for six weeks out of the year, and every year it's such a treat. So that's what led us to do our gardenia and tea um, fragrances. I wanted to smell that for more than six weeks a year. So our Oh, that's so sweet. I like that. <laughs> so our ingredients always mean something to me, and I love which we will have to do this maybe when we go to California, but I love to go to botanical gardens and get a guided walk and I will look at everything and I will smell it. I will eat it. I will <laughs> talk to the guide about it. And you can bet that if I'm super impressed, it will find a way into my next product launch. All I want for you to do is just look in the mirror and like your skin, like yourself and feel comfortable and happy. Well, that is really amazing. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Suzanne. It's so much fun, like always. Thanks, Victoria. Hi, Pedro. Catala, ¿cómo estás? Muy bien. <laughs> Where are you, Pedro, right now? I'm in the studio in Spain. I know it's, um, yes, it's the weekend, but I've got lots, so much to do, which is good. Um, so, yes, I'm here in the studio in Spain. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me on a weekend. I, yes. I, I'm, I want our listeners to hear about your brand, 12 Beauty, learn a little bit about you. I am in love with your Hyaluroyal. That's a hard. That's a hard <laughs> word to say. <laughs> yes, I, mean, I wanted to combine the like, hyaluronic acid in an oil because, as as you all know, is uh, hyaluronic acid is soluble in water, but by being encapsulated, you can introduce it into an oil. 
Let, let's talk about you, Pedro. Let, vamos a, well, let's introduce. I, 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 I am trying to stop speaking Spanish to you. Okay, so um, <laughs> let's speak in English. Um, tell me about 12 Beauty. Tell me about you and your background. Yes. Well, um, I'm a, I, I grew up in, a, in the middle of nowhere in Spain, in a very rural area, very isolated. And we kind of uh, relied on the mountains for every single remedy from like minor elements to more complicated. Um, so to me, like I always felt so connected to, uh, to natural remedies. And that's why I ended up studying pharmacy. And I was so fascinated by the use of plants, which unfortunately in the, in the modern world, we don't use them as much, especially in medicine, as much as, you know, our ancestors used them. Um, from that, I always was um, very intrigued by the use of natural extracts from plants uh, used on skincare. And we did lots of research in the Botanical Garden of Valencia and other um, gardens in the Mediterranean, uh, from Sardinia to Sicily. Um, it became so interesting. And eventually, I wanted to learn more about it and how to formulate products. So I ended up completing a master's degree in science and technology of cosmetics at the University of Siena in Italy, because at that time was, in my opinion, like the best school. And that took two years. And since then, <laughs> The professors persuaded me to complete a PhD in natural formulation, which I think it gave me this opportunity to understand really the science behind everything. And, it's, you know, it, as we are formulators talk, it takes more than mixing few ingredients that we all know. And as a formulator, we tend to rely on few ingredients. We don't like to come out of the comfort zone, but we really need to push boundaries because there are so many good ingredients, not so well known, as traditional ones, but they are very, very, they offer so many properties. And it's, it's interesting that you talk about like using plants as remedies. Um, you know, it's interesting that you took your experience and you appreciated that and learned from it and then went on to um, get a more formal education on uh, the science of plants. So let's talk about that because I think some people have, They, they either believe or they have, you know, expressed opinions that the green beauty community is unscientific or that we fear chemicals or and preservatives. And I want to explain how we feel that that's not correct. Tell us a bit about what you think on that and what your standards are as a chemist and a scientist. And if you believe that natural beauty is unscientific. Oh, I mean, no, I mean, I always... If you go to my website, you'll see like the first phrase, natural product formulation is a science. It's not an experiment. Yes, I saw and, that on your website and I think that's a great yes, quote. Because to me, modern skincare is all about efficacy because we don't have time, but also safety. So uh, that's why uh, I test for months and months no end the, the stability of the formulas to see how they react, if, there's, if they release any molecules, if they are stable, you know, in time. And that's priority for me, like the safety of the ingredients. We all know uh, there, are some, there is so much information out there. Um, we all know like what olive oil is and what the benefits of avocado oil or even more exciting or more novelty ingredients, but how to mix them, how to make them stable, how to make them more um, 
efficacious. That's difficult. That's the, when the formulators step in. I went on a botanical trip back in 2005, I think, in Brazil, and the north of Brazil. And the professor there uh, showed me this Patawa oil, which many brands use them now, um, use it now. And they said, Pedro, you, know, you need to use this Patawa oil because it's incredible. It's the best kept secret in Brazil. Women, children, everybody uses it there for the hair, body, feet, hands. And this is the best oil you'll ever get. Um, I got so excited uh, of my discovery, let's call it like that. I, I left all my clothes there. I, I, I emptied my suitcase there and I packed with bottles of Patawa oil. Um, got back to university in Siena and I walked in, I remember walking in, uh, super excited with my professor, uh, to my professor shouting, look what I discovered. We are going to be rich. This is the best thing ever. Nobody knows about it. My professor, who is more cautious than me, she said, okay, let's do an analysis, let's run a test, let's do an analysis and let's see exactly what, you know, the composition of the oil and what makes it so wonderful. Eventually, I was almost like um, writing the speech for the Nobel Prize. Uh, <laughs> and I almost fell off my chair because the results came in and I saw it was identical from a chemical point of view to the olive oil. That's why, um, you know, we, of course, as a formulator, I'm very fond of um, traditional ingredients in skincare because they've been studied for decades and we all know about them and they are very good and they do work. But of course, I understand from a marketing point of view, you have to generate some buzz and you have to create, you know, to, you have to get this ingredient from this little island that you didn't even know that existed until that moment, from a tree that you don't even know how to pronounce it. And, <laughs> but it's, this is always this difficult, difficult balance. And I believe in, yes, you might need the exotic ingredient, but at the same time, it's so important to rely on ingredients that, been, that we know I uh, prefer to use natural skincare because it's more beneficial if you compare like a, an oil made in a lab. Yes, it might be a bit emollient, it might create a bit of film, but it won't have as many properties and vitamins and um, antioxidants than uh, synthetic oil. I mean, natural oils are much better, but of course, at the same time, we face so many challenges. Um, natural beauty faces many challenges from the... Um, um, rep to reproduce the same ingredient all the time. That's why, uh, you know, you don't get the same natural ingredient exactly the same. It's very difficult to get it the same and with the same characteristics. Or at the that's same why time, sometimes maybe uh, a batch of something that you make looks a little bit different because of, for that very reason. Oh, yeah, yes, exactly. I mean, that's what you, that you get, like, you know, the, to reproduce the same ingredient. Or if there's natural disasters, that's... That can you know, that can that can really make life difficult for natural formulators. So you make your products in your own space now. Ah oh, yeah, yes, I am, I am, I am, and I'm the one who yes, I've got a couple of people who come and help me when uh, with the uh, putting like the batch labels and boxing them up, etc. But the formulas and the the process, the manufacturing of the blending and everything is only me. And I love what you always say is like that we need to raise our standards. I believe in that as well. I think that's so important to continue to raise our standards because we have an obligation to make safe products and better products. Um, what is your um, ideal uh, look like for raising our standards as a community? 
Well, in a way, and I don't want to sound controversial, but I kind of think we need to see, uh, to get inspiration from the big players, from the big companies, because they do have, they implement uh, like quality control, they implement the way they source their ingredients. They have some of them, the, or the ones I kind of like collaborated in the past, uh, or I did an internship, etc. I saw the, the their standards were very high. I think well, since we're, you know, I'm, I'm only going to speak about the U.S. Since we're unregulated here, the mm-hmm. the standards can be very low. The I know, standards I know are that, very low. Yeah. That you're you're in Europe, the standards are higher. Even you know, the standards are higher there. We tend to look towards what a lot you know. A lot that's happening in the EU, especially now that you do have to be EU certified to sell in the EU. Um, we do tend to look to see what's going on there, but those some of those standards also need to be raised. Um, I feel, um, especially with the oh um, mm-hmm. yeah, and I, I and so you know, there's been arguments on both sides of the spectrum about safety standards and. We, we, you know, we are at a disadvantage here in the U.S. with it being an unregulated industry. And really the only government agency monitoring what we do is the Food and Drug Administration. And we're not, you know, a food or a drug type of industry. So um, I think a lot of green and natural product formulators that are trying to raise their standards and become transparent that this is why they're so passionate about these issues. This is why they want to be clear. This is why concise language and um, being transparent is so important because we don't have regulation and we need to advocate for ourselves. I really feel that um, it's so important to stick to that and not to you know, divert. Um, And so when I hear sometimes that people are criticizing the green beauty or the natural beauty um, industry as being unscientific or fear of chemicals and fear of preservatives, is it's disheartening because I know um, product formulators like you or Sarah or Suzanne that are so committed to their integrity and their transparency and upping their standards all the time you know, I just can't agree with that. We have to make an effort. We have to study more. We have to learn more. We need to, in order to give the right opinion. Um, Good. I want to ask you a question about an ingredient. Like, do you have a favorite ingredient? I've asked, you know, lots of product formulators, lots of brand founders, if they have a favorite ingredient, why it is. Is it olive oil? <laughs> uh, what, no. What's your favorite not- ingredient? Although I've used um, the squalane derived from the olive oil, um, um, my favorite ingredient of all time is um, mallow. Mallow. From, mallow the, from, the, because, from the mallow plant? For the mallow plant. Mm-hmm. And the mallow, and why? Because it's the most, in my opinion, the most sustainable plant. Um, uh, in fact, here in Spain, uh, we have this um, phrase, like, you know, like, uh, in every old field, the, the dirtier the soil, the better it grows because it's a nitro- nitrophile plants, plant. So that means that it comes from the, from normally from, like, organic material f- linked to um, human activities. So, in other words, it grows in small fields in the middle of the you know roads the railways 
um, so in a way, the dirty of the soil, the better it is for the mallow. But mallow has so many properties. It's resilient. It's, it's a resilient plant. It's a resilient plant. It's, people see it as a weed, but every time I see mallow, I just go crazy. I start picking up flowers. <laughs> and my friends and family say, about, what are you doing, you crazy man? You can get amazing ingredients almost at your doorstep. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's really wonderful. Um, we're in Chicago. I remember some time ago when we first started, we were growing our own chamomile and lavender. And, and we had two separate gardens. Like Karen had one and I had one, two different parts uh. of town. And, and we loved it, but it was so much hard work. And as we got busier, we realized like it's not, this is not sustainable. And mm-hmm. um, and also it's you know it's very short term. <laughs> so oh, in Chicago, it was a very sorry. short term. This was not <laughs> this was not like a weed that we could find everywhere or you know something like in the middle of Spain that you could you know you were lucky if you were hiking and you could find it. It was so crazy and it was so hard. And eventually we gave up those those little gardens that we had because it was so much work. But so I had, I I'm always admiring people that grow their own things and. Oh, totally. And to me, it's the, it's the ultimate luxury. You know, if you grow your yes. own ingredients, that's best. But the thing is, I've seen how these ingredients I use, first of all, they have to be standardized. They have to have the standards as well, the ingredients. So I rely on companies, which I believe. I went to visit them in Switzerland, in Germany, in the south of France, in the parts where I outsource my ingredients. And I see how they work, and I believe in them. I really believe. I, I feel. Very, I feel very safe. Yes, I, I work. Part of the quality and the standard that you're talking about. So you go and you meet your own producers when you can too. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Oh, I do. I work. I work very close with them because to me, it's an ideal world, and I, I could easily in this part of Spain where I am in the studio. It's very rural, so you you got lots of fields, and I could get easy access to the fields. But how difficult is to like first of all to extract and to make it standard to make the extract the same as previous one. I don't know how people make it, but I find it is very challenging. It's a big challenge. You can make it, of course, and to me this would be like super luxury. But also I've seen the amount of flour, the mallow flour, which is one of the ingredients I use to create a liter of the extract I use and you need tones. I mean, I will need huge extensions of land to, to grow the mallow I really need. And I'm a tiny one. I'm a, I'm a tiny plant. <laughs> right. So my volume is very small. So yes, you do need, yes. Otherwise, yes, you can, of course, if you make it very dilute, but I believe in powerful concentration, um, effective skincare, and you need like high doses. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Pedro, for talking to us and sharing some of you know, what you're, what you're doing and your standards and how you're pushing to exceed the boundaries for green beauty. We really appreciate that. And we are just loving everything that you are doing. And and, um, I just want to give a little uh, sneak peek, little insight um, that we are going to be seeing you, Pedro, Mm, in January in Los Angeles (gasps) And our A Night for Green Beauty um, friends and fans are going to be seeing you too. And that's all I'm going to say for right now. But we're excited about that. Oh, Victoria. I mean, I'm really happy. Like, I really enjoyed our beauty talk. And also, of course, I cannot wait to meet you all in Los Angeles um, soon. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Victoria. How are you today? 
Great. How about you? I'm good. I'm speaking with Sarah Villafranco, the founder of Osmia. And I would love, um, Sarah, for you to uh, share a little bit about your story on Osmia before we start. Sure. Um, Let's see. So as we mentioned when you and I were chatting before, we started about the same time as La Bella Figura. Um, we started in you about said that 2012. Perfectly. You said that perfectly. Thank you very much. I've been <laughs> listening to the way you pronounce it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so we started Osmia in 2012 and I, um, came from a background of medicine where I spent 10 years practicing as an emergency medicine doctor and, um, found it to be a really satisfying and interesting and fun job. But, um, there was just something missing. You know, there was this feeling that I was spending my days um, fighting fires that were already raging. And um, I thought, gosh, if I could get to people a little earlier and inspire some, some small changes in their daily routines, maybe some of these health problems would never surface in the first place. Um, and so, you know, after then sort of I had a, I had my second daughter and my mom died of pancreatic cancer. And then, then I sort of got into a strange place mentally in medicine where I, I started resenting people who were taking their health for granted, um, people who weren't contributing to their own health. I just felt like, well, gosh, I don't really want to work against you on your own health because you are a participant here. So I'll work with you, but working against people started to feel pretty bad. And around that time I took a class making soap and I really instantly fell in love with that process. And then I spent a couple of years trying to figure out how I could turn it into a career. And you did, and you did turn it into a career. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And which is interesting. So when you, when you took this class and you enjoyed it, when did you know that, not only did you want to turn this into career, but you were going to choose to make it um, natural, not harmful to the environment or to people. Did yeah, that, that, I never even thought about it. I mean, it's it's just how I live. It's how I've lived for as long as I can remember. I've always been the earthy, crunchy kid in the group who, you know, <laughs> eats organic food. I've been, you know, vegetarian for 20 years. I just, I've embodied this way of life for as long as I can remember. And so you know, using um, unhealthy ingredients was never even on the, like, screen for me. I just kind of, I started with the most beautiful stuff. And plus, I I mean, once you have, you know, smelled real Rose Auto essential oil or real Lavender Mayette from France, like, the synthetic stuff is so ridiculous. It's like, why would I even bother? Right, right. That's so true. And you know what's funny is that a lot of people have not smelled the real stuff. Oh, I know. Once you retrain yourself to the beautiful stuff, you're not going to go back to the cheap alternatives. So, Well, speaking of that, how, how does Osmia choose an ingredient to come into um, your formula or a new product, new soap? How do, you, how do you make that determination? You know, sometimes it's based on um, something I'm trying to address from a skincare perspective. So, for example, you know, when I developed um, our black clay facial soap or our purely simple face cream, both of those um, sort of became um, (laughs) alive in my brain because of a need. And the need was 
um, skincare that worked for people who had perioral dermatitis. So that was sort of like a niche thing that I ended up becoming an expert in because I had it myself. And it's become a really big part of our business because so few products work well for that skin type. And so sometimes it's a, it's a need in that way where I'm addressing, you know, something that, um, is more on the, you know, skincare or medical side of things. Um, other times I'll smell something and just get fired up about how beautiful it is. And then I decide I need to make something based on that. So like our whole craft series is this, um, these limited edition launches that we do of body oils or body mousses. And really it's, that's my like olfactory playground. That's where I get to just pick the most beautiful stuff on my shelf and make something with it. And without having to worry about adding it to our regular lineup where then we need to be able to scale it up. Oh, that's that sounds kind of like your passion project. Too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool, mm-hmm. cool, cool. Do you choose wild um, ingredients or organic? Does it matter? So really the, the word that I use is quality. And um, the reason I say that, I mean, generally speaking, we try to use certified organic ingredients if we can. Um, but there are times when a wild harvested essential oil smells better than the certified organic one does. Um, and as the certified organic, you know, essential oil industry, for example, is growing, sometimes they can like check all the boxes they need to check to be certified organic, but still not really be an exceptional product. Um, so I smell, touch, you know, or feel every single raw ingredient that we purchase and it has to pass like this quality test for me where it doesn't just have the stamp on it, and hopefully it does, but it also is really exceptional. Okay. I think a lot of, of makers of Green Beauty feel the exact same way. It's really mm-hmm. about quality, which is mm-hmm. you know, fantastic, and, and it, it, it means a lot. Um, well, and it's, it's one of the reasons that we didn't, you know, we never became a certified organic brand because when I started the company, I was like, well, wait a minute. You know, first of all, this is a food grade certification and um, people are not eating the products. And yes, we absorb them through our skin, but not to the same degree that you would if you were ingesting it. So I'm not sure the standard should be the same. I'm not saying it shouldn't be the same, but I just think that kind of still remains to be seen. Like what is the right standard for skincare? And then I also thought what I really want people to know about our brand is that I'm here doing the research and the testing and the homework myself. I'm not just buying something because it has the certified organic seal on it. I would rather people know that I care about the specific quality of each ingredient more than I care about having a stamp or a seal. Sure. That's, that's a really good point. Are you still the main product formulator at Osmia? Yes, I am. Cool. Um, so tell me, what, what do you believe natural ingredients offer your line of products, offer as far as benefits to customers? What do you think about that? So I think, you know, our tagline is return to your senses. And it really sums up everything about our brand. You know, like, you know, from the from this true like five senses perspective, um, you know, I want people, I always, I always use this example of this time I was driving through the, um, the Italian countryside outside of Florence with my husband and 
we saw this little cardboard sign and it said, you know, in Italian olive oil. And we like veered off and went into this little driveway and there's this, you know, little old man in his garage and speaks not one word of English. And he motions us over to him and grabs a bottle of unlabeled olive oil off the shelf that he's, he's bottling it right there. And he grabs a spoon and just pours some of this oil into the spoon and hands it to me to taste. And it was the most decadent, beautiful thing I've ever (laughs) tasted. And it didn't have a label. He just made it off of his olive trees, you know, probably the week before. And I want that concept to come through when people use our products, that it feels like this pure, unbelievably beautiful, close to nature experience that allows you to stop time for just a second while you're using it. And I don't think that synthetics can do that. I don't think they have the power. It is very different than, you know, going to a, a, you know, a store and buying stuff off shelves with that don't have that connection. You know, those are products and they serve a purpose, but they don't have the connection that you're trying to convey with your products well that and and also you know i'm 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 certainly interested in selling products but more than that i'm interested in um being part of and um, supporting a bigger conversation about about beauty um and what it really means sure and i'm glad that you you bring that up too because i also want people to know that a lot of people that come um onto the scene to make products like yours that they care about all those elements as well, that they do care about the environment. It isn't always Mm -hmm. about beauty products, beauty products and making people look younger. So I want to ask you also about ingredients. I want to ask you because I just, I love to to talk about ingredients. I love when people are passionate like you about ingredients. Do you have a favorite one? It's sort of like asking me which of my daughters (laughs) I prefer. (laughs) Um... Yeah, I thought about this because you sent me some questions ahead of time to, to noodle over. And I would say I have I, I can pick maybe two that come to mind quickly. Um, one is Dead Sea Mud, which is the mud that we use in our black clay facial soap. And I think the reason that I like that ingredient so much is because I've seen it help so many people. Oh, tell me I about mean, that. Yeah. So the, it's again back to that dermatitis thing where, you know, people, so many people are struggling with this skin condition, which is this redness and flaking and sometimes breakouts in the, around the folds of their nose and then down around their chin. And um, people want to put oil on it and they want to, you know, they're just trying all kinds of things to make it better. But um, it turns out that it, it really hates oil and it really loves water soluble ingredients. And there's certain lifestyle changes you can make to support your skin, you know, getting rid of SLS, getting rid of fluoride, those types of things. But um, it wasn't until I made this soap with mud from the Dead Sea that I started to see my own symptoms um, recede. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And I stopped using it and they started to come back and I started again and they went away again. And so at this point now, you know, there we've sold thousands and thousands of bars of that soap. And for so many people, it's the first thing that they've seen help their symptoms settle down. And I think it's because of the unique mineral content in that mud. 
um, that, and it's really sulfur rich and it's just, it's got a lot of, you know, very powerful minerals. And I think it really does something for that specific type of skin. So I'm, I feel a lot of gratitude to the Dead Sea for, for that and for the customers who benefit from it, including myself. Um, and then I guess the other thing I would say is that we use, um, you know, I have been planting more and more lavender on my property. Oh, wow. That's and fun. yeah, and so I get to harvest it myself every year and I hang it all to dry every year and then I get the buds off myself and I take them to the team and they infuse it into olive oil that goes into our lip doctor. And so for me, that's really a beautiful um, start to finish process where, and there's a great example. No, they're not certified organic. I buy certified organic, um, you know, seeds. And so the, the plant is organic, but I'm, you know, I live on 30 acres. I'm not a certified organic grower, but we don't use any chemicals. And of course, I mean, we just allow the we use it, you know, with our own compost pile and we nourish the plants here and then I harvest them myself. And I just think it, it doesn't get better quality than that, you know? Does it smell different um, than maybe other lavender that you've used before? That's a good question because I haven't really had access to other fresh lavender, which is where, you know, you really notice the smell is when you're actually physically harvesting it um, and you have the fresh plants in your hand. Normally what I've smelled in the past is dried lavender where, you know, we buy it from suppliers, um, but we've been able to use just my lavender uh, for a little bit now and that's that's really wonderful too. That is so cool. I really want to try yeah. that with doctor, by the way, now it's like lavender oh, and I'll put oil. one in the mail yeah, to you. I yeah, I want to try that. <laughs> Well, I also want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. and uh, Of course. And yeah, thanks for having cool, me. Yeah. It's such a great, great group of people that you've – I just listened to your interview with, um, with Catherine and with Mark from Integrity – um, and with Michael, and it was so fun. I just feel like that all my friends, they're oh, yeah. all here with you. Yeah. So it's, There's, there's so story. many fun people to still talk Absolutely. to, so we're excited about that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Victoria. Have a great day. Okay, you too. This podcast was produced by Amanda Florian in Chicago, Illinois. Thank you for tuning in and listening. The Anife for Green Beauty team is very excited to delve into interesting topics covering the vast world of green beauty. We look forward to bringing you more episodes soon. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast, visit our website, anifergreenbeauty.com, and our Instagram. Until next time, Green Beauty.